Can I get everyone's attention, please? Can't, how, do you get, how do you get the attention of a bunch of CEOs? What's, what's the secret? That's me trying to wrangle the 50 or so CEOs who attended the Fortune annual dinner in Davos recently. No easy task. It's a very impressive group. By our calculation, you got about a trillion dollars in revenues accounted for here. More than more than two million employee, direct employees, and and many more than that if 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 uh, you look at it indirectly. So you folks can change the world, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And that's what we are going to be talking about on this podcast. I'm Alan Murray, and this is Leadership Next the podcast that examines the evolving role of today's CEO and what that means for the future of business. As a journalist, I've covered the intersection of business and society for four decades now. And what I've seen in the last few years is a really profound change in the way business leaders lead. Uh, Their jobs today are less about giving orders, telling people what to do, much more about providing inspiration, motivation, broad direction, sometimes even moral leadership to keep their employees on track. In practical terms, that means that CEOs are often speaking out on issues that they used to not talk about at all. When you hear Mark Benioff criticize the Indiana Religious Liberties Law or the CEO of Bank of America go after his own state legislature for limiting transgender access to bathrooms. These are the kinds of issues that they never would have talked about 10 years ago. Uh, You also see it in their emphasis on things like the environment, on diversity, on workplace training. It's a big, big change. And my goal here on Leadership Next is to introduce you to some of these leaders who are redefining the role of business and the role of business leaders in today's world. We're going to dig into what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, and we're going to ask how much of an impact are they really having. Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. So let's get back to that dinner in Davos. That night, I interviewed the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, and decided that conversation was the right way to kick off our inaugural episode for a couple of reasons. First of all, Nadella these days is the most admired CEO among his peers. They think highly of what he's doing. And second, he is a great example of what we're going to be talking about on leadership next. He's made some fundamental decisions that are focused on Microsoft's contribution to society, not just its contribution to the bottom line. So you uh, made a big announcement last week, uh, a huge commitment uh, to uh, uh, sustainability. It was like a $3 billion commitment. But what struck me was you said that you thought capitalism was fundamentally in jeopardy if we don't take this on. Can you elaborate on that comment? Yeah, I mean, the thing that we've been sort of trying to think through is as we make these commitments, call them obligations, What's the, first of all, why are we doing it? Um, And I think we're doing it, in fact, out of enlightened self-interest. In some sense, if you sort of say, um, how do we, as a company, succeed? Um, 
the world has to do well. Uh, in fact, I love that Colin Mayer's definition of a corporation because, in fact, it's a social enterprise. And the social enterprise's value is uh, that it you know, solves the challenges of the planet and the people. Profitably. And profitably. Profitably and The key, the key word is profit. I, you know, it's it's eight, 8 o'clock on a Thursday. So <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. That's, all, that's uh, what I'm here for. There you go. <laughs> but that, that definition is sort of what I think is, uh, all, you know, it's all about to me. For, uh, so when we say uh, we want to make these com uh, commitments, um, for us, if we don't, if the, f the fundamental source of all value in capitalism still comes from the planet, and the people who live on the planet. And if the planet is in danger, then what exactly happens to capitalism? So in some sense, that's the reason why. It's, maybe it's a little bit of a hyper, you know, maybe it's sort of uh, extreme way of expressing it. But I do worry. Like, I think the best system we've ever developed to be able to allocate our sort of productive, um, you know, resources is capitalism. And so if you want to keep the party going, uh, we need to think about all the unintended consequences, whether it is the inclusiveness of growth or uh, sustainability. The author that Satya refers to, Colin Meyer, published the book Prosperity, Better Businesses Make the Greater Good. And it's become a must read on the future of capitalism. I was impressed by it myself, in particular how Colin takes a big picture view of the role of the corporation in the 21st century. It was an inescapable topic this year at Davos, moving from a long held standard of shareholder capitalism to a new model that Colin embraces, stakeholder capitalism. We need to think about how do we move forward from the model of the company and our capitalist system which emerged in particular from the middle of the 20th century with a focus on profits and shareholder returns to a recognition that our capitalist system is more than that. It is something that can really contribute to addressing the problems that we face as individuals and societies and business can play a critical role in that, in a form that is not only beneficial for our societies and us as individuals, but beneficial for companies. In other words, you're calling for big changes in capitalism and how we measure it and how we monitor it and how we go forward for the next century. Absolutely. So what Satya has talked about is that by sometime in this decade, Microsoft will be carbon zero in relation to its scope one and scope two, as it's termed, in relation to its own operations. And it will be carbon neutral by 2030 in relation to its operations and its entire supply chain. That's an ambitious agenda, but it's a very clear agenda and it has clear measurables against which Microsoft's performance can be evaluated. So it's credible. Okay? So what Satya is basically talking about there is how do we ensure that in the process of Microsoft doing what it's doing, it's not profiting from creating damage to the environment. And he's going to go back and do that in a retrospective as well as a prospective sense. And when Satya Nadella talks about sustainability, he isn't just addressing the environment. He's looking at a much bigger picture. Talk about inclusiveness, because what you did last week was about on the sustainability piece. But what is your responsibility when it comes to inclusiveness? So the way, again, I go back to our mission, we talk about empowering every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And the question was, what does achieve more look like in the 2020s? Um, 
And so first, I actually think the world does need economic growth. Uh, you know, the economic growth that we all sort of are celebrating is not that great. I mean, it's what, 4, 3%, 3.5%, 4% uh, in the developed, in the United States, it's a couple of points. It's, so the, I subscribe to that Robert Gordon's critique of, I would call it, uh, modern productivity, uh, yeah. where I don't believe with all the technology we speak of, there isn't that broad growth. And interestingly enough, it's not broad sectoral growth. It's not like every industry is getting the productivity gains. And you know, tech industry, which we are lucky to be participant of, is 5% of the world's GDP. So the yeah. question is, what about the rest of the 95%? Colin, you had a very nice framework in the book where you said that companies are actually driven by different sorts of capital. There's financial capital, there's physical capital, there's human capital, intellectual capital, and also social capital and natural capital. In the history of the 20th century, we had a shortage of financial capital and physical capital, and so we built this system around uh, uh, providing rewards to that scarce capital. And in the 21st century, we're moving in a very different direction where, where natural capital, social capital, and human capital, intellectual capital, are what's in short supply. Uh, and we need to create a new system around those resources. That's absolutely correct. That we started off the 20th century with the manufacturing firm being the predominant type of activity that was going on in economies around the world and growing very rapidly. And we then moved into the multinational firms, the transnational firms, which took that manufacturing activity around the world. But during the course of the uh, 20th century, companies have shifted away from that predominant focus on manufacturing to the growth of the uh, human enterprises. So if this fourth industrial revolution is going to make a real difference, the, the most malleable resource at least humankind has ever found, quote-unquote software, does play a role in precision medicine, precision agriculture, in personalized banking, you know, personalized e-commerce. You pick your industry. The question is, how is software and digital technology change the frontier of productivity? And that generates the wage support, that generates the returns across all sectors. It's not just going to the West Coast, to the U.S., or the East Coast of China. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is the CEO of Deloitte U.S., and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Something big seems to be going on in the world of business. There's a shift from a focus on shareholders to a focus on stakeholders. I'm hearing this everywhere. Why is it happening? This is a realization that if you effectively serve a broad cross-section of stakeholders, that's actually conducive to generating a premium return for shareholders. This is not an either-or. Maybe in the short term, one could prioritize profits at the expense of other constituents, but in the long term, you have to align those interests to deliver premium shareholder returns consistently. A lot of people I talk to want to know, is this real or is this just a public relations act? Exercise. This is being built into the core of leading companies' strategies, and you're seeing the landscape shift drastically. Just in the last few months, views from leading investors around the way in which this is driving capital allocation decisions, very tangible climate commitments from many large organizations. 
organizations and a very significant interest from our employee base around their desire to make certain that the organization they work for aligns with their values. Joe, thanks for being with us. Alan, it's a real pleasure. So I'm here now with Andrew Nuska, who is the digital editor of Fortune. And Andrew, you've spent quite a bit of time with Satya over the years, profiling him for the magazine on a couple of occasions, including just a few weeks ago. How does his interesting personal history inform the way he runs Microsoft? Well, for starters, it very much does. You know, he is an an immigrant from India and, you know, he sees the world as a a person who's lived across borders and traveled around uh, since the beginning. In the course of our conversation, he talked about the Americans uh, with Disabilities Act as a as an, a sign of good regulation. Uh, and hmm. the reason he brought that up is because two of his children have disabilities. Wow. A lot of people don't realize that. And so when he's pushing through accessibility features in Microsoft products, he actually has a personal... It's very personal for him. ...reason for that. And so I think that, um, you know, that informs the product uh, roadmap, certainly. And it also informs Microsoft's stance on things like you know, uh, immigrant workers and, and visas and things like that. It's personal for him. And what did he have to say about tech's role in society? Well, quite a few interesting things. For one, he really appreciates regulation, which I kind of wasn't expecting him to say. Uh, you know, this is Microsoft after all, famous for its antitrust. <laughs> and, and just really uh, how much a, a tech company, a, a private company should do versus a government. Yeah. And how does he draw that line? Like what, what is the responsibility of government and what is the responsibility of the company? Well, he wouldn't draw the line for me. I tried a little bit. I pressed a little bit to figure out kind of where it stops and where it starts. But the, the thing that he kept coming back to is, well, we can't wait around for government. We have, to, we have to do it first. We have to be first movers. He called tech companies first responders which I thought was an yeah. interesting characterization. Yeah, bingo. I think that's actually – that's a very big part of what's going on. I go back to – I immigrated to the United States in 88. The Berlin Wall fell in 89. And then I got into software in 90. I said, like, that's like winning three lotteries in sequence. Uh, and, and it was like this amazing 30-year <laughs> period where you basically had access to all markets. It felt like, yeah, you know what? You know, it's great. Just yeah. shut up shop and you're – uh, you go. But most people in this room have dealt with regulation. Market access has not been as easy and clean. And so I think it's just a bit of growing up for us as an industry. The way I think about our license to operate in any country um, comes from whether we are creating local value or not. So for example, any place I show up, uh, I actually look at like, hey, what's the employment around our ecosystem? What is the wages around it? What's the small businesses that we have helped, the large multinationals we have helped, and so on. Microsoft's view of how they operate within a framework of greater societal good is admirable, but it's probably still the exception. We're in a similar place to where we were almost a century ago when businesses and government had to rethink how they quantify and incentivize corporate behavior. Colin Meyer explains it this way. What happened in the, in particular, the post-depression era at the beginning of the 1930s was that there was a recognition that we needed to improve our ways of measuring what companies were doing. And so a whole system of accounting, put forward in particular by the SEC and the United States, 
came up with a method of standardizing the measurement of company performance around financial performance. Move into the 21st century and we find ourselves with this greater influence of human, social and natural assets, but we haven't built a similar system of measurement to account for or evaluate the impact that companies are having on those forms of assets. You are in a room full of people who are on this same journey. It's like, how do we consciously think about social impact and how do we maximize that at the same time we, we fulfill our obligations to our shareholders? What advice do you have for them as they go on this journey? Um, I mean, look, I, 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 people here are many, much more qualified to answer this than I am, but here's what I would say. At least focusing more on what is the core business design, including the business model, and ensuring that in there is built in sort of the stakeholder capitalism construct. In other words, if you do well, if the world around you does well, you're in good shape. But if you do well and the world around you is not doing well and then you have to make up with a lot of ESG, that will not work. So I would say- It's got to start at step one. It has to be there at the very yeah, beginning, I mean, just in the base, design. It has to be in the design. Like what's the economic model? How do people benefit? Uh, that's going back to the Colin Mayer uh, contract. I mean, that's the social purpose of a corporation. So pay attention to that phrase the social purpose of a corporation. That's not something you would have heard discussed among CEOs probably even as recently as five years ago. But I was there. I witnessed these leaders across industries, big and small, embrace their role in this new movement. It's become a topic of conversation in almost every boardroom and C-suite these days. And companies led by the best CEOs, like Satya Nadella, aren't just talking about it, they're actually taking action. He and his peers are redefining the role of the corporation in society, and they're mapping a new frontier for capitalism. And that's what this podcast is about. That's what we're calling Leadership Next. So please join us all season as we talk to the CEOs who are taking on this mantle, making the tough decisions, leading by example. It's gonna be an interesting ride. If you've enjoyed the show, drop us a comment or review us on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, please do it right now. New episodes of Leadership Next are going to appear every Tuesday in your feed, featuring interviews with CEOs who are defining the future of business and leadership. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. This episode is produced by Dan Sacker, edited and engineered by Wayne Schulmeister, and written by me, Alan Murray, and Dan Sacker. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is recorded at the Fortune Media headquarters in downtown Manhattan. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 